Podcast is about taking media action. Find the problem, fix the problem. This is your opportunity. It's either a hell yes or a fuck no. It's that simple. <laughs> now is the time to take action. Now is the time to do more and be more. Welcome to the Tangle One Podcast. I'm Tony Smith. I'm a retired cop and SWAT team leader and currently the founder of the Garage Gym and the owner of Tangle One Solutions. I'm joined by my friend, fireman, the Timberwolf Tamer, Emerson <laughs> Stuntman, Casey Wright, garage gym trainer extraordinaire. And our mission every week is to challenge you to, and to guide you to create an immediate action plan against your problems and your weaknesses. Simply put, we just want you to do more and be more. So today, we are welcoming Jeff Casey. He is a former ergonomist, <laughs> turned uh, owner and publisher of Snapped. Uh, which is a Windsor publication that highlights local businesses, achievements, and all kinds of great things, which we'll talk about more. He's a dad, he's a husband, and he's a cancer survivor. But most of all, the way I know him is as a philanthropist. Uh, he's on countless boards, charitable contributions, like like I'm talking like a, a list of them, namely uh, the 100 Men Who Give a Damn. He's He was an award winner uh, with me, actually, as that's one of the places we hung out, Association of Fundraising Professionals Award. Uh, he also is an ambassador for the CMHA Soul Focus Project. He's an ambassador of hope with the Windsor Cancer Research uh, Group and all kinds of other things. But one of his biggest projects is he's the event director for Play for a Cure, which has raised tons and tons of cash for the local cancer society. And we will talk about that in tons. So, Jeff, thank you for showing up today. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Great to meet you guys and uh, can't wait to get this info out there. Good, so it is about 95 degrees in the studio today. We got this beautiful logo, but we can't afford the air yet, so we're getting there. <laughs> and we got our, we signed our first advertisement today, so maybe one day we will have air. Thank you, Steve Kidd, financial advisor for Edward Jones, and we'll be starting to promo him next week. Uh, but yeah, so today's episode, man, I really would love to talk about attitude, your philanthropy, and uh, just being a warrior, because I, you have done some battling, and it's been very impressive. So wanna get into that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's kind of odd, right? When you're sitting here and have to talk about yourself. Um, but, you know, I think I do have a pretty good story because I was able to overcome, um, you know, having cancer. And uh, I know that's something that a lot of people uh, have uh, battled with and are battling with and some people have lost the battle. And, um, you know, for myself, I actually take it all the way back to my childhood. And I think it's more so on about how I was raised. Um, I had very strong influence from my mom and uh, and my grandparents, even more specifically. Um, my grandfather, he had this belief that having the right attitude um, meant everything in the world. So he had uh, a manufacturing company called Horizon Plastics, and uh, he had a, a good number of employees. And he was the type of guy that would stroll the floor, like talk to everyone, um, hand out the paychecks, hand out the bonuses, like shake everyone's hand. And he always had this attitude pin and it was a, a pin that's just the word attitude and you wear it on your right side or your right collars, um, showing people that you have the, the right attitude. 
And um, where that comes from is a, a poem that's written by Charles Swindle. Um, you should look it up. I don't know the whole poem off heart, but I do know that the most important line is that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And that doesn't matter if like, whatever bad things happen to you, you can be driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. Why did they cut you off? I, you have no idea, but maybe their headspace is in their son's in trouble or, you know, they're in a fight with this person or they're on the way to the hospital, whatever it is, how you react to it kind of determines the outcome for that. Like if you let that get to you and stress you out, then, you know, that's going to ruin your day for something that you have no control over. If you don't, don't let that type of stuff control you. Um, and so, um, you know, unfortunately my grandfather passed, I'd say a, a relatively younger age, um, around 70, 71, I believe he was. And um, he, he had a really strong influence um, on my cousins and I. Uh, so there's five of us and uh, he went through a thing called Lewy body's disease. Um, so it's kind of affected him physically and mentally. So there would be bouts of where he wouldn't know where he was. And then there'd be other bouts of he wouldn't know who's around him. Uh, it was kind of a cross between dementia and Parkinson's. So it was very challenging, especially for my grandmother at the time and, and all of us, because he was everything to the family, right? He was su such a strong example. Uh, military guy. He was a Rotarian. He started uh, two of the probably the biggest Rotary fundraisers in North America. Even may have changed now, but he started this one called um, the Waterfront Festival. So I'm from Coburg, which is about an hour east of Toronto, right on Lake Ontario. About fifteen thousand people, and uh, he was one of the people that started this Waterfront Festival, and it gets well over a hundred thousand people that come to it from all over like kingston to toronto type thing it's it's just a really cool little event that happens there's they sell ribs and there's a beer tent and there's music and you know there's a, um, hundreds of vendors that show up and the carnival all that good stuff we're going back a good number of years now and then the other one he started was this thing called the sportsman's night um and it's it was simply a genius thing because it was just a big silent auction and live auction so if you can imagine you sell 150 tickets or 200 tickets to it and there's 350 items that you would go bid on and they were all donated so my grandpa being a little bit more uh, he was very well connected in the community and because of his business and whatnot and so the the event just kind of blew up it still goes on to this day and it's in honor of of my grandfather so oh, i mean he's, he's won international awards so he was just this little guy too like I, mean, I think he was that's a guy i never even thought of this because he's such a big person in my mind i bet you he was 5'8 140 pounds like really yeah isn't that, <laughs> like I, I was describing him you're like you immediately picture like some type of man right and you would never picture a little guy like that but yeah he was just a little guy so um, I know you walk around with the attitude pins and you hit yeah. them out. That was one of the first times we met Greg Grondon and I from the GL Heritage Brewing Company. Yeah. We met you at a cancer. Uh, we were actually getting an award for raising some money. Yeah. And you gave this incredible speech about your, your battle with cancer. And it was kind of what brought Greg and I back yeah. to the table to, to make another run with the Cruise and Brews last year. Sorry about that. <laughs> you were on the fence, if I remember correctly. I do, I was or, or, or maybe you were on the wrong side of the fence, even. I was like, no, 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 you cannot let this go. So we always say in like policing and then in this gym, we've kind of carried that same thing down here is that um, when in times of stress, you're always going to fall back to your training. 
So from the point where you were a little exactly. kid, being taught by your grandfather, attitude was everything. Yeah. Uh, how is that kind of applied? You've fallen back. Like, it wasn't real training, but it was training, man. That's like how you're going to pass it on to your kids and I'm passing on to yeah, my kids. Yeah, ex- I'd say it's exactly training. I mean, you're, you, if you've got kids, you're, you're training them every day. Like, if it's not physically, it's mental, psychological, emotional, right? There's, there's more to a person than just physical, mental, emotional. There's spiritual and uh, psychological. Those are the five things that you that shape you, in my opinion, yeah, right? Opinion. So, so if, if you're going to, like, however you're going to act in life is based on essentially what you're shown and what examples are set for you. So, so yeah, and, and this is exactly it. So when my grandfather passed, my cousin and I started Attitudes for Education. The, t- the two big things in him um, that he tried to instill in us was attitude and education. So we started a scholarship foundation in Coburg, extremely unique. I reached out to a couple of organizations um, and they said, no, you shouldn't do it like that. You should do it like this, which, which like this was how everyone else does it. And we're like, no, that's not, that's, that's not our goal. That's not our objective. Our, our objective is to support somebody who's going to post-secondary education based on their attitude. We're not gonna ask for their transcripts. We don't care about their grades per se. Um, we're not going to consider their financial need. We're gonna, we're gonna judge um, their application based on what they provide to us, based on them having the right attitude. Like, and there's arguments for all sides of that, but it's very unique in that, you know, there's, there's kids that maybe their mom and dad could afford to pay them to go to school, right? So that's kind of like, well, do you really want to give that person? Maybe that kid doesn't want money from their mom and dad or for their grandparents. They want to take care of themselves. And because they got 85 and 90 and they, you know, they worked three jobs, they volunteered this, they did music, they, you know, all these different things that they did to help support themselves. Why should they not be able to qualify for some type of scholarship? Because really what we're doing is we're rewarding that person we're not rewarding their grades right so not only were we able to support you know that that student that had the 85 and did all that stuff there's students that would have 65 that were were, that were going to a trade school that you know dad was out of the picture mom was sick they worked to, to support their family chances of them getting 85 or 90s very very low so that's the other thing we did scholarships for university, scholarships for college, and scholarships for trade school. We actually ended up giving a scholarship to a student that was in a penitentiary. There's a Brookside Penitentiary for Youth in Coburg. And he applied and and filled out the application and um, provided us with um, a music CD that he had created and that he had applied to, I think, a school in Ryerson and gotten in. And so there was a lot of like kind of things that had to happen, <laughs> but we gave this kid a scholarship to get help, get him moving forward. So, and, and it was incredible. I mean, the, and it was, it was like really, so what we did was we, um, we held a golf tournament to raise money mm-hmm. and you know, all the, the sponsors and the players come, but we invited all the scholarship winners. So all the scholarship winners would come in the first year was nine, nine scholarship winners. And they each got, um, uh, $1,500 plus $1,000 for each year of school that they stayed in. And uh, we invited their parents with them. But the parents, we put at a table by themselves. And then all the kids, we put with the sponsors and, and the participants. And the student had to lead the conversation. So we, we gave them like questions and they had to introduce themselves and they had to engage the people that were supporting them for their scholarship. And that was all cool. 
And then at the very end of the night, which made everyone cry, and it was always incredible, my cousin Kaylee would get up and she would introduce every single scholarship winner. And they would come up to the front. This, looked, this makes me cry every time. He would come up to the front and at the very end, standing ovation every single time, everyone in the room. And we did this for 15 years. We, we don't do it anymore. It's just too logistically. But every single person in the room, standing ovation, like the students themselves are like, like in shock and awe, like they didn't expect this, right? It's a, it's a scholarship. Most times you get a, a check in the mail or something, you don't get recognized, you don't get thanked, you don't get you know that support in a way that means so much more than just the money, I would argue, right? All these people standing there clapping for you, like something that probably none of them have ever experienced, right? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's a feeling of pride. And so like there's, I don't know, it, it was always just incredible. and. So, and that was all, it's all based on attitude, right? So this is all this, like us trying to honor and support our grandfather. So, and I'd say that we're still in training, right? Like we've taken what he's taught us, how he's led us into develop into a human. And we're, we're carrying it forward. We're moving it forward. Little did I know, and, and I would argue that it was really in preparation for me to deal with something really big, right? right. Cancer. Yeah, let's go there then. Like, let's talk about that. Like, so you fall back on your training. We keep saying that we hire based on attitude. That's how we got Casey here. I mean, we hire based on attitude, core values, which is essentially kind of the same thing. And I think a lot of people right now, like you talk about falling back on your training, you're going, everybody's dealing with this COVID and the pandemic and, you know, kids work, you know, doing school from home and you're working yeah. from home and all these like struggles. And I think that, you know, hopefully, if you put yourself in a really good place, you're able to like batten down the hatches like a like a sailor in a storm. And then at some point, you're gonna come back out of this on the other side. And I think your story with your battle with cancer really lends to that. But yep. also, I'm hoping that people listening, it'll lend to this perspective of to, to deal with, like to put their problems in perspective. And also for those who have big, big problems to understand that there is, you know, if you keep pushing forward, there is, light at the other end right yeah, you will absolutely. come out resilience right walk yeah. through fire come out the other side yeah absolutely. and i think too with like the whole idea of like talking about teaching a lesson and things like that it isn't necessarily like it's not written on a piece of paper like like when you brought up the story with your grandfather it's it's not your grandfather maybe he did but or without meaning to he wasn't setting out to raise these um charity event <laughs> organizers right right that's just something he did out of the kindness of his heart and he yeah. tried to push forward those beliefs and morals towards you. Mm -hmm. And just so happened, obviously, you fell into those shoes and continued to do that on yourself, right? So I think it, it also, you don't have to worry so much about, I need to you know, create this in my kid or create this in my family. Just putting off that positive attitude is gonna mm -hmm. rub off in some way or another. And it doesn't necessarily have to go the path you want it to but that could go in another job career that if that positive attitude helps with anything yeah. like if you become a trainer and now you just want to be a positive person to 300 people yeah. that's just as important as if it would lead you down this other path i fully agree with that and i was thinking that in the on the way here is 
like there's in our community there's people that you you see all the time they're out giving or giving back and then there's but there's a lot of people that are like quietly doing it but then there's also like people that just take care of their family like not just take care of their family I don't mean like that but there's a lot of like it doesn't make anyone better than the other it's just you know kind of what you enjoy and you know how you want to give back or how you want to pay it forward I mean which is mainly probably one of the bigger reasons that I do this too is you try to leave uh, leave it better than you found it. Yes. Right. So that's that's probably the the thing that drives me the most right now. Um, yeah. So you you raise a very good point, and I, I agree 100% with it. I mean, and and even looking go back to my grandfather, which I always do, anyways. But like he he carried this through more in his work, I'd say, than anything. Right. I just didn't I didn't really get a chance to know him that well in his work life per se right like when you get time to as a 20 year old 18 year old 15 year old to sit with your your, your grandpa you're not talking shop typically right, right. it's you know, my grandpa liked to fish he liked to hunt and uh, you know it was actually with him it was always organizing everything and cleaning up and work 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 right like the at the you go to the cottage with grandparents and there was a very long list of tasks to accomplish before you could sit down and have a, a coke with your grandpa right right so it, it's very true but um yeah so if you want to get into the whole cancer thing um yeah let's i think yeah i think it's an inspirational story and i think it just will lend some uh, you know some motivation to people to like to keep pushing, to keep pushing with what they're doing and, and to fall back on their training, to make sure that they're taking care of their mind yeah. and ingraining these things in their children. I know, Casey, yeah, I, I could tell that was hitting home with you. You lost your oh, grandfather yeah. recently, very influential to you, and you're taking on the path and you're carrying on those things that he Definitely. carried or that he passed on to you. And he did a lot of like, it's almost like everything you're stating is the same thing that I was very lucky to have as a as a kid. Right, we grew up in that same thing. We'd we'd be at camp, and it'd be the her cottage, and it would be uh, it'd be a long list of things to do. And there were so many lessons that my grandfather instilled in me that, at the time, I didn't notice or didn't mm. realize. Right, the little things of like, I'd cut his grass every week, and instead of uh, he was an engineer um, and owned crane company and started again, he had a lot of charity organizations under his name that he would. Um, donate to but it would still be you know what's the minimum wage right now <laughs> that's what you get paid to cut my right. grass right and it was all those lessons like you don't just get right you don't just get it because you're here or you're right. under there like you work for what you get and then you appreciate it so much more mm -hmm. right and all the lessons that you know being in the backyard trying to level out <laughs> like landscape the backyard yeah. and instead of just him doing it and me watching like him actually showing me how to do it and how to use a surveyor and a level like all these lessons are so important in my life now and it's just those little things you don't realize and he probably had no direction as to how i'm going to use it but teaching me all these skills or did tasks, he yeah or yeah. maybe he did I'll right tell you, that's, I, that's I tell you one it. thing I guess I'm the senior person in the room. Yeah, As you, you get are. older, you become wiser, right? And and the rationale behind doing things um, may be apparent to me, but not to you, right? And and not that I'm wise, but I'm certainly sure that your grandfather was, and he probably realized that he's not teaching you how to survey the backyard. Right. That that was not his goal, right? Right. He's he's training you. Yeah. <laughs> to use your terminology here, that's exactly what he was doing, right? Cheers to those men right now. Yeah, right? Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, I got you that. My grandpa was a rum and coke guy. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so nice. let's hear it, man. We read the blog last oh, night. Jesus. I've heard the story in person and then read that blog that you that you wrote many years ago now. Yeah. Probably feels like a lifetime ago to you. Cause it does. It was, Jesus, it was uh, uh, just over 11 years ago now. I mean, it, it's kind of a, I could tell the whole minutia of the story as best I remember these days. Um, I was actually uh, golfing with a buddy, uh, like my best friend of all things, at a golf course, wooden sticks and... You know, I, I decided to go away uh, for a weekend with him and I just didn't feel right. And I felt like I had this little tickle in my throat. And uh, so I was doing cough drops and trying to golf and, you know, have a couple beers and just felt off. Right. So um, ended up finishing our round and we stayed overnight. The next morning, tried to golf, still didn't feel right. And then I ended up going to um, our cottage and uh, my wife was there and uh, my grandmother was there. And uh, my, my wife at the time was, I think, 36 weeks pregnant. And um, I remember being in the cottage. I, I remember this very vividly, looking in the, in the mirror, trying to look down my throat, and I could see something looked kind of off. And so I grabbed a flashlight, and then I looked down my throat, and there was a massive lump. And my first thought was, holy shit, that's cancer. Like, I don't even know why I would think that. Like, there's no... There's, no reason for me to. There wasn't like there's no family history or anything like that. Um, but then I, I showed my my grandma, and she's like, "No, no, that's tonsillitis." Like, and essentially that's what happens. Um, uh, your tonsils will inflame when you get tonsillitis. But typically, little little white spots come, like little pus things. So I didn't think too much of it, but it's still in the back of my mind that this is maybe a little bit like something I need to deal with right away. So back to Windsor, we came and uh, went to the doctor. And I won't mention this asshole doctor's name, but he looked down my throat very quickly and gave me a prescription for Biaxin and said, away you go. It's in the blog, by the way. Yeah. I don't want to speak up. Uh, and so, um, you know, eight, nine days go by and nothing's really changed. And so I decided to go to the uh, Westminster Urgent Care Center and uh, Dr. Uh, Wawark was there, Jocelyn Wawark, um, little godsend woman. And uh, she will say calmly panicked like so she was extremely professional joking around and you know she's like you know i don't know what this is it's likely an abscess but we need to deal with it so um you know why don't you go get a, a chest x-ray because uh, they had one at the west urgent care center and then i want you to go get some blood work done and then we're going to see about getting you in to see an ear nose and throat specialist so when they start to take you seriously in the hospital setting you kind of start to think Okay, this is serious, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're taking this seriously. She's doing a lot of things. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit worried. Um, I go to get the x-ray. Um, and I'm sitting there waiting for maybe 10 minutes. She comes in to check on me. So, you know, <laughs> the, the worry level goes up just a little bit. I get the chest x-ray, uh, come out. Uh, we've exchanged numbers now. And so she texts me. She's like, okay, so you're going to the blood clinic now. And, you know, I'll, I'll be in touch with the ENT. Uh, whatever. Okay, so I go get the blood work done. As I'm leaving, I get a text from her. Okay, you have a, a meeting, um, uh, an appointment with Dr. Ling. Um, in I think this was on a Thursday, I, but it was about three, four days later that I got a, uh, an appointment with a ear, nose, and throat guy. That's impossible, right? Unless, unless, mm -hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> you put a little asterisk beside your name or whatever. So, um, anyways, I go to see uh, Dr. Ling. So. We've moved about two weeks or so now, right? So my wife is now 37, 38 weeks pregnant. So we're at home, we're preparing for a child and there's this layer of worry. 
um, you know, but like the baby's room is done and, you know, we're monitoring and we're going to doctor's appointments for her and everything like that. But, um, so then we got to go in to see Dr. Ling and my wife's sitting there and he looks down, he's a little chitter chatter and uh, he's got four daughters of his own, I believe. And, uh, he looked down my throat and he's kind of steps back. He's like, we got to get that out and we got to get it out now. I'm like, why? And he, he, he kind of looked away from me, but then he looked at me dead in the eye and he said, I think it's cancer. And so that was the moment that you're like, you know, that all the stuff that you were worrying about was is a little bit more real. He's like, I don't know. I can't guarantee obviously anything, but we got to get it out. Um, he's like, come with me. So we went, uh, these are the stories that I'm probably not supposed to tell, but I went to the front desk and he's like, when's my next time in the OR? Because they have to book it in advance, obviously, or they have their schedule, their eight hour blocks. And He's like, okay, um, so it's uh, next Tuesday or like in like three, four days. He's like, okay, bump this person, bump this person and put Jeff right there. So there, like, so <laughs> you feel, you can, you can hear the emotion in my voice right now, right? Kind of starting to relive this. Um, so from there it's, okay, we got the appointment. We're gonna have the surgery. They're gonna take him with tonsils, uh, which is where it is. And then they're gonna try to scrape around to see whatever else is, is in there. So we go to, uh, we go back home and, you know, starting to try to contemplate everything, right, of what's going on. And, and so then uh, I go in for my surgery and um, everything goes very well um, and get the tonsils out. And he said he was able to scrape it all out and he's, he's fairly certain he got it all. He, um, and uh, he should get results in seven to 10 days because that's what a pathology at that point, right? Um, so now, Aletta, my wife, is 39 weeks pregnant. And <laughs> after the surgery, we go home. I don't know if you've had your tonsils out, but as a kid, it's like freezies and ice cream and, and you're good in a couple of days. As an adult, it's absolutely horrendous. Like they, they essentially cauterize your entire throat, right? So, and the pain was so intense. And he gave me the, um, I can't do uh, like narcotics at all. So he gave me T3s with like a little bit of like with codeine, like it was kind of like the maybe the max narcotic I can do um, without like really strongly reacting. And the very first night, um, the pain started kicking. I, I tried to take these T3s with chocolate pudding and <laughs> I threw up everywhere. <laughs> like it was, but it was like a crazy amount of pain. Like the pain would not subside for that. It was it was the worst. So by the end of it, I was taking T threes every every two hours. So, anyways, um, fast forward to September twenty fourth, uh, two thousand eight, and uh, my wife goes into labor, uh, like two o'clock in the morning. Uh, this is eight days at, eight days after my surgery. So I'm still in a crazy amount of pain, but. We get her to the hospital, everything goes really well. Isabella's born September 24th around uh, 6.54 in the evening. Um, I'm still popping the, the Tylenols every couple hours. I sleep on the floor. I'm out of Tylenol, so I have to go get more. Um, and so the next morning I have a doctor's appointment. My wife is still in the hospital, right? Isabella was born like whatever, like six o'clock, right? And um, I was gonna go by myself. My wife's like, no, no, you gotta take like, your, your grandma should come with you. She was the only one kind of there. She's like, no, somebody has to go with you. Let your grandmother go. <laughs> so that's, so uh, this is when I start to tear up a little bit. So the next morning, go um, meet with Dr. Ling and um, get in his office, sitting there with my grandmother, waiting for Dr. Ling to come in and um, sitting there. 
he comes in and oh like, how's the how's Isabella like he knows where everything's at right and I show some pictures and he's all happy he's got the papers and uh, the nurse comes in the room says um, uh, sorry to interrupt but I have uh, Dr. Ham on the phone um, you got to talk to her so he's like okay um, don't look at these and he puts the papers on the desk and he leaves <laughs> so <laughs> he, he leaves it comes back in like five minutes and uh, he's like okay um, so we got the results of the pathology I know you're not I wasn't expecting them I was going to get some T3s uh, another prescription or whatever and uh, he's like okay so we got the results and it's cancer like it's um, it was called uh, follicular non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, and um, that was Dr. Ham, who just called me, is that's your oncologist, and I've made an appointment for you to see her in three days or whatever. So like these people had gone like above and beyond to kind of help me out because you know my wife just had a baby and you know there's so much going on, so much positive stuff going on, and then we have to deal with this, right? <sighs> so that's that was that was kind of hard to deal with, like. I know. <laughs> it, I can imagine. It's because yeah. there's so many things going on in your head, right? Of you just had your first child, and you know, like, you just had your first child. Like, there's the greatest moment of your life having a child, and then you get dealt like cancer. It's like holy shit. So my grandma and I went back to my house. Um, I had to gather myself before I could get back to the hospital because I had to tell my wife, right? So we did, and. You know, I, I think I cried a lot and just tried to get out as much as I could before I, had to, I could maybe get enough courage to go back and, and talk to Deletta. So <laughs> then we had to go back to the hospital and I, I had to tell her that I had just been diagnosed with cancer. So that's the beginning of the story. <laughs> Which is, that is insane. Uh, yeah. And just bringing the timeline is like, that's all within two weeks, yeah, right? Of, you, of your official diagnosis. Yeah, and your wife having your first yeah there's so much thrown and and see my wife's both of her parents had have had passed of cancer as well and her dad had passed um i think in 2002 and her mom was in i think it was 98 um and i was actually diagnosed with the same cancer that her mom had so <laughs> she told me <laughs> years later but she said in that moment is when i started to plan for life without you oh my god Right, isn't that that's intense, right? And realistic, I guess, right? Yeah, like that that would describe her too. Like she's she's a realist for sure. But I mean, so like it it was like I still I still cannot put my head in the the space of where I was at because it was so chaotic inside, right? You know, I um, fast forward a little bit. This goes to what we were talking about even a little bit before this started of. I took um, a lifestyle change program at hospice after I'd been given the green light and cleared of the cancer because I was struggling so much mentally, emotionally, psychologically. Like I would have these fits of rage, um, fits of uncontrollable crying, like like just emotion that I couldn't control. Like I remember once I was played hockey with all the guys and like feeling kind of normal and as I left just I had to pull over I just couldn't control myself um, and what the lifestyle change program taught me was that based on how I dealt with things is that I compartmentalized the mental and the physical side of things and I put myself in a space 
to just do it. I had to physically decide to go do things, treatment, scans, tests, blood work. Um, and I put aside the psychological and the emotional and the spiritual. So I didn't really deal with a lot of my emotions or the psychology side of things. I mean, I dealt with the, the mental side of things of, oh my God, I feel like I'm gonna throw up or I'm constipated and um, I can't sleep and like all the, all the physical things that happen to you, but you just mentally deal with them rather than getting into the emotional side of things. So when I kind of, when I was given the, the green light, then everything kind of transitioned into finding that what they, what we call a, a new normal. You're never gonna get back to that normal. Like, there's no way that you can go through something like that and be the same person. Right? You're going to use everything that you had to get to the other side, but you're going to be different psychologically, mentally, spiritually, probably physically. Yes, psychologically, like all of those different aspects have been changed. I mean, that kind of happens every day in a way, too, but not on such a grandiose scale. Right. Right. So it keeps coming. It seems to keep coming back over and over the same kind of topic. So with me, with the PTSD and the mental illness and how it explained to me and with Casey from his wolf attack is a lot of this, these, the emotions, if you don't deal with the emotional side of things, you can't control when it's going to pop up. And like for you yeah. at the most random times, for me, one of my lowest points was two days after cruising was raising a hundred and almost $50,000 for people. I found myself in the same situation at my cottage laying on the floor. And you just, if you don't deal with the emotional side of what you went through physically you pushed through right mm -hmm. and physically you pushed through and i pushed through and people who are listening will push through whatever their obstacle is but if you don't deal with what went on inside your head yeah it's going to come back and you can't control when it comes back right right so i think that's and how it's going to come back exactly like like stuff that comes out of you that you didn't even know you had by the sounds of it that's what you experienced right like yeah the hell why am i lying on the floor like why am i pulled over why am i thinking these thoughts even right like that's not me that i'm not gonna do that i don't want to think about that what the hell and then my experience was it was always after a peak you know yeah like you fall hard you hit like something high a high note like raising a ton of money which is something you've done a ton of times or you know beating cancer or having a great night with your friends yeah and then it's a hard hard fall and usually the, for me at least the people closest to me took it the hardest because i would come home in the same kind of fits yeah. of rage and Danny would take the, the brunt of like my, my, my not violence, but my, my contempt, contempt, I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. my anger. So, you know, uh, one thing I, I think it's important to talk about with the cancer is that um, with your belt with cancers, you talked greatly about the cancer society and the cancer clinic, sorry, the, um, how you were treated in there. And the yeah, absolutely. And, stuff. and like this gym in particular, probably a lot of people listening have spent a lot of time and money donating towards those causes with Cruise and Bruise Row Against Cancer and what yep. we got going forward. And then you, with a lot of people who are tuning in to hear your interview with the Play for a Cure. So like, let's talk about some of the things that that place, because it's funded almost all through volunteer work, correct? Oh, um, yeah, oh yeah. Well, the, the well, there's the cancer clinic, of course, which is part of the hospital. Then there's the, the uh, Cancer Center Foundation right, which um, their main objective is to purchase equipment and and support the staff that are there. 
Um, there's a ton of different cancer organizations in our region. Canadian Cancer Society would be one of them. They do tremendous work. They're the ones that do the re Relay for Life. Um, they have programs for peer support, for instance, which is um, something where if I'm at the time, I was 34, um, just I have a job, I've got just a new baby. Um, they will pair me with somebody in the North America that was was in a similar situation so that you have somebody to talk to because immediately when you get cancer there's a club like I, I don't know how to describe it it's something that I've been through that if you haven't been through it then you won't fully understand all those aspects that we talked about so to be able to speak to somebody like that is a huge asset I it turned out for myself that my wife had a friend that had gone through the same thing four years before me so I had him to call and at any moment I could give him a call and he answered and I could talk about the, the medication, what my concerns were, the, you know, like with how you deal with the job, how you deal with your wife and yeah. like just My shoot. mom did this for people too. My right. mom's a cancer survivor. She did that. Through the Canadian Cancer Society. I don't know who she was with. I was young. Well, hospice yeah, would do it as well. She was helping. Yeah. And that was the programs we don't think of. Yeah. Oh, who haven't been through this. Like yeah. My huge value. My dad was involved with a lot of it after his go with cancer and it was like just like heaven sent in the way of how he went through his stuff and how he talked to people and like getting help is like someone's gone through it. Unfortunately, someone else has also gone through it and they can give you a bit of advice. Yeah. Take it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did it as well. So when I, that was one of the first things I did when I was done, as soon as I thought I was in a good enough place. And so then I ended up talking to a whole bunch of people and just, just shoot the shit with them. And they, they ended up feeling a lot better. And they all say the same thing. Like, it's really nice to finally talk to somebody who's was in a similar place, right? Um, but yeah, so I can tell you like my, my very first steps into the cancer center were scary as hell. And I didn't have the best experience to be honest. I, I think like I'd said earlier, I had kind of decided to physically and mentally deal with this. So I had prepared my four pages of questions. I had my aunt beside me who was a nurse and my wife, and we were going in on a mission. We're gonna go in and we're gonna get answers to all of my questions. And I'm gonna challenge this and I'm gonna challenge that. And I wanna know more about this, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, you walk in and it's beautiful. Like it's, it's like, and it really is like the, the, like the best worst place to be because you feel okay in there. I mean, it's, you don't want to be there, but at least they've done a really nice job to making you feel okay. So you meet the, the first girl at the reception and Mary was great and it was very organized. And then the first person I had to talk to was a support worker. And that even that support worker, no offense to her, but she wasn't right for me from the very beginning. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing okay? Yeah, I am. I, you know, I'm here to see the doctor. I want it to, uh, I got my list of questions ready. And, and how are you feeling? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I, this, I'm not, no, like, and I ultimately I cut it short and I was like, sorry, I, this isn't for me right now. Like this is maybe something that I can come back to, but right now I need to go see my doctor. So then, so we just kind of left and, you know, then we get up to see the doctor and then it was the intake nurse and the nurse had a lot of questions for me, which was fine. But then she started giving me all the information about the drugs that I was going to be taking. And I'm like, excuse my language. I know like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I, I haven't even been told by my doctor what drugs I'm taking, nor have I been given 
a very specific diagnosis. I don't have a second opinion or a third opinion. Like what, what the fuck is going on? Um, still, I didn't say that, but that's kind of what's going in my head. Right. So I'm going through all of this and then the doctor comes in and it's Dr. Ham and she spends an hour and a half with me. Like, and it was just incredible. Right. Didn't have an answer to this. Uh, give me one second and she'd leave and she'd come back and she'd have the answer. Okay, well, and the uh, results from this test, oh, come with me, it's on my computer, and this is where this is, and this is where that is, and it's like a whole hour and a half. Like, I didn't expect that. Like, I kind of expected to be like, do, 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 right? But got all the answers and got everything, felt really good, and, you know, and then, so, um, you know, we talked a little bit, and um, they were fairly confident that they'd removed all the cancer, and the treatment path that they were confident in um, was this, and, you know, I went and I got a second opinion uh, from Carmanos, um, and they have this whole cool intake process for international pa uh, patients. They take your slides and your file, and they have uh, meetings every Thursday, I think it was, where not only do the oncologists, but the radiologists, the, the nurses, the pathologists, all these different people, case review every single case that comes in. Um, and then they come back with a recommended treatment regimen. Um, and they came back with the same one that Dr. Hammond had, which is the same as um, what Cancer Care Ontario had um, prescribed for that particular cancer. I took it to the next level, got a third opinion. A friend had reached out to me uh, that works uh, for the BC Cancer Agency. Um, so I sent my slides there and he reviewed them, got me a little bit more specific information, which may or may not have been necessarily needed. Um, and then decided that my treatment plan could be delayed, I think a couple of weeks. So we screwed off, went to the cottage, um, came back. I was to start uh, treatment at 8 a.m. Uh, it was on a Thursday and it was, I was one of the first patients in. Have you been the, I don't know, if, if you haven't been to the cancer center, um, you walk in, there's a, a, a centered by a nurse station. To the left, there's uh, five beds that are separated. On the other side, there's 11 beds uh, and a bathroom. And then there's a whole thing for heated blankets, which are the best thing in the world. Uh, and then there's four private rooms, three or four private rooms. And then on the other side, um, there's about 12 chairs for people that can sit up and get treatment. So. Um, my nurse, she, um, Maggie, never forget her. She grabbed me, took me to bed number one. I'm the head nurse. You're in my charge today. You're in bed one and I'm going to be watching you like a hawk. So you don't worry. You're here and away we go. It was great, right? I mean, that's exactly what, kind of what you want. Like somebody like Maggie, who is a take charge, take no bullshit. Um, I know what I'm doing and you're going to be fine, right? no better feeling than that when you're going to go through that. Right. And, and I would say for the record, I felt like, and I was 30, um, 33 at the time, I was the youngest person there, right? Like I know Windsor doesn't deal with like um, pediatric oncology. I think that typically under 18 and under, you, you have to go to London, right? To London. Yeah, I, th I think that's kind of, I think that's the number. Um, but anyway, so I felt out of place. I mean, I didn't want to be there obviously, but um, so I started on just a um, regular IV or um, saline solution. I had a port put in my chest, right? Which is like, a, they put it under the skin and it's a little rubber pad and it's attached to your veins so you can get the drugs kind of right in, right? Um, so first saline solution and then I got into some, uh, I had to take antihistamines 
uh, just just uh, orally, and then they started me right into the rituxan. And the rituxan was the one that they were worried about because it's it's not actually a chemotherapy drug. It's a called monoclonal antibody, um, but it was kind of like the wonder drug. It was the one that kind of helped move everything forward, or I don't even know how it works, but. Um, within about 45 minutes, I started to react to it, which is what they're worried about. So they immediately had to stop it um, because I had broken out in hives. Uh, my throat was starting to get itchy and it was swelling. And so it was kind of starting to close. Um, but within me, like putting my hand up, they were over and, the, and they stopped uh, like giving me the medication probably within three seconds type thing, right? And into more antihistamine, they switched the bags. I think I got another one via IV. They got it under control, and then they had to change um, the rate at which I was given the medication, right? So my it was if you can take it at the regular rate, I think it should take about an hour and a half. Um, they had to give it to me, and it took, I think, like four four and a half hours and I didn't develop the hives or the, the tingly throat or anything like that. So, cause it's really important that I get this medication, right? So then after that was done and then they, then I get into the chemotherapy drugs, which are, I mean, some of those are, the fincristine is this crazy nasty drug that makes your fingers numb and turns your pee red. And actually it's so toxic that I wasn't allowed to handle my daughter for two days after treatment. I think they said 12, 24 hours. But we always took it a step further and said 48 hours. So for 48 hours, I couldn't touch my daughter at home, which, which is really tough, right? Especially because don't forget, she's maybe four weeks old at this point. That was one of the toughest things for my mother-in-law was the no contact with the kids. I remember that. Yeah, that's yeah. it's crazy. Like the little things that you would never think of, right? Like like a hug, <laughs> like don't like from grandkids or your right. kids, whatever that may be. Kind of crazy. So. Um, I got all the, the cancer center closes at 4.30 and um, they they all knew that I had a daughter. And so they all, like everyone was kind of like feeling sorry for me, if you will, or they just wanted to make sure that my experience was as best it could be, right? I, maybe that's the other way to look at it. Um, so they ended up uh, staying an hour and a half late, the whole cancer clinic, so that I could get my treatment that day and not have to come back the next morning. Wow, like, that's awesome. Wow, wow was right, and that was Maggie. That was Maggie. That's, that's an incredible story. People who go above and beyond to do their jobs. And there's so many Four people, people like that right? Just, and that's incredible. Yeah. It's one of those things like you might not think it's a big deal to you for you to stay that extra half hour, hour after work. But like hearing that story and seeing it, it just like what a difference that makes yeah. and how much that impacts your life. It's just like go the extra mile every once in a while because you have no yeah. idea what a difference it can make. Yeah. So one of the so, reasons I wanted to have you on here was because I want the Garage Gym Army, the people that are listening, to understand we don't always put a face to the people who are being helped. And I know we talked about that at the Cruise and Brews. Remember, we had the Warriors uh, oh, I remember. sit down and I couldn't. I was asked and I, I couldn't couldn't commit because I had something else to do. Otherwise, I would... And, but then I showed up. I got there. Showed up out of the crowd and hugged me out of nowhere and uh, made me start bawling. Yep. Like, Sorry. I think it's important <laughs> to people to like hear stories like yours so they understand because like you, t we talked about it before. We're always being asked for money for everything, right? For this, for that. But when we are, when you are donating, there's people just like you and there's somebody like you probably right now going through something similar and yep. like you're the you're the person we're helping my aunt my uncle my cousin you know your neighbor it's somebody that just you like know us 
just a normal person like you that has come into some terrible circumstance that needs our help. So this is why we raise the money that we raise. And like, I would love to shift kind of towards that. Cause I mean, I think I've done pretty decent as far as raising money for charity, but you are like on another level. And it's just, I mean, it's a super inspirational to me. You're one of the guys that I, we were talking, I'm joking about it for you get in this like charity raising circle and a fundraising circle and you start to meet people and then you see the same faces at a lot of different events. And you're yeah. one of those guys. I know you're really humble and you said nothing's off limits. How much money do you think you have raised in a ballpark for this, like for the community and for, every, for I, the like, community? These things when you were like in freaking high school. Oh, like, I don't know. This, like, scholarship how much money? That's a good question. I've never actually thought about that because um, attitudes for education. I'm going to say that we raised over... Well, we, no, not raised. I mean, there's a difference. And I, this is a distinction I'd like to make and for that make people think about that your gross profits versus your net profits. Right. Right. So the scholarship foundation, we gave we gave away in 15 years over $700,000. Right. So we raised a lot more than that because there's expenses. With, right. There's okay to have expenses. Right. Because you need to kind of typically and in a way you need to host some type of event to to raise the money. Yeah, it's something I've been learning the hard way lately. Uh, right. When we first started out, it was always like every single dollar goes to the fund. But now the the bigger the event, the more we're able to raise. But also we have, there's just some expenses that yeah. I physically like. It's fair to have cover. expenses. It is. I mean, to you, you just don't want them to get out of hand. Right? So you, you think to yourself, what is a reasonable amount of money? So I can say to you, if, if you'll give me $100, and I can take that and turn it into 300, would you be happy with that, right? Or I don't know what the number is for everyone, but mm. I think that's, a. if I can take, if I can take a dollar and turn it into four, has been my number, right? So if I can spend a dollar and turn it into four. So you're doing some Jedi mind shit with me right now. What is the, what is the, give me a ballpark. <laughs> give me a ballpark. Oh. Let's like, stop being so humble. That you're on here because I, I cannot oh. get over your your list of achievements when it comes to raising charity. Not that you haven't done other things in your life, but this it's really incredible. If you're if I was describe you as anything, it's that man, like the, just an incredibly giving person. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oh, never. If, if there is a lot, let's say let's let's say let's move on. A couple million dollars for sure. A couple million dollars yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. And I mean, I I've been sitting on this four hundred thousand just. That's so a great excited. number. It's I'm, it's nothing it's incredible. to be but I just cannot believe the, the work you do. And then when I see your resume of charity work, it's just unbelievable. So where does that, like, it comes, where does again, it come from, man? What inspires you to do that? Well, I, it's, I go back to my grandfather, sorry. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Attitude, I mean, and, and taking and, you know, reacting to situations and having cancer. And, you know, you, you pay it forward. You leave it better than how you found it. And even, and then it, also my mom. My mom, uh, she, she was an executive director for United Way. Um, when I was in high school and so she was always giving back and she's she's incredibly kind as is the rest of my family so it was kind of inbred in us that we're we're givers or organizers of fundraisers and trying to help you know other people but um let's bring it back to my experience going through cancer in the chemo center uh, the, the cancer center and just seeing some of the nurses that were doing fundraising like with, with the do good divas and um even Here's a crazy story. Even even the first day of chemo treatment, there was a gentleman beside me. His name was Todd Pike, and he was he was sick. He looked sick. His wife was laying 
with him on the bed. And she did not look good. He looked terrible. And I, I crossed his paths a couple other times in the hospital, getting scans and CT scans. And But he was, I was walking in, he was on a gurney. Like, um, but I'll, I'll never forget the kind of the look on their face and how everything appeared to be going. And uh, it was right around maybe my fifth treatment or so, he passed away. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to know his wife just a little bit. And, oh, you know what happened? Sorry, back up. I ended up, um, I was playing squash and I ran into a buddy of mine, Andrew Delabana, and he starts telling me about, uh, he didn't even know that I was going through cancer and then he finally did and then he just started telling me about his friend, Todd Pike. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Todd was beside me in the first day, da da da. Um, and I think that's actually how I found out that he passed. And we had to actually stop playing squash. And we sat there for like 30 minutes and we were both like very emotional. And and then he told me about a fundraiser that was happening. And because uh, he worked at Ground Effects. So you know where I'm going. Like, yeah. So <laughs> Jim Scott hosts this fundraiser at the Kabodo. And freaking, I, I'm going to say that it was 1,400 people showed up. It was absolutely incredible. And he was just, he was just, with quotes, raising money for Todd's kids' education. Like that was his goal, right? To, to, and he ended up raising maybe $40,000, $50,000 for each of them. But that, that was very inspirational to me to, to see the, how the community really stepped up for a family in need. Before cancer, I was in my job and working and head down and family and me playing hockey and still doing other charitable stuff, obviously, like with attitudes for education and other things. But this was bigger. Like, I felt like I felt like I should be doing something as well. And I, that's kind of when I started my own fundraiser, too, while I was going through chemo to raise money for the information rooms there. But that was extremely inspirational to where I knew that there was going to be something that I wanted to do. And it did. It actually took eight years to figure out what I wanted to do because I mean hospice helped me and so I wanted to help hospice and I did the Cancer Center Foundation they I wanted to help them and I did and Canadian Cancer Society and you know in honor of the ones we love and transition to betterness they all do great things that help our cancer community I just never really had um, a thing that was there was never a clear path and but one thing that I did start to learn is that we, we, we deal a lot with the reactionary side of things, right? So if someone's already have, has it, and then how can you make it better? That's what our community does very well at. So what I started with my wife and Harvey and Elaine Staden was the uh, Cancer Research Collaboration Fund. And what we're working to do, and part of our mandate is to support cancer research projects that integrate um, work at the hospital and work at the university or the college. So it has to be academic in nature, but it also has to involve the hospital. So we're forcing the collaboration, which is something that I think our community could do a lot better at. Um, our, all of our different organizations, whoever they are, need to work together more because we can't work in silos. You wanna solve a problem, you can't just, you're not, even as a family, if you feel unhealthy, you, you can't just do it on your own. You're gonna need the support of your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, grandparents, right? Like, you can't just do it on your own. Our community is the same way. We have to work together to make to make it better, to, you know, to have better outcomes. So, and then um, with that, 
our event is called Play for a Cure. And so the idea behind that is um, we have eight teams. Um, we have a captain for each team, a sponsor for, for each team, um, and their players have to fundraise to partake in the event. Um, so they do all their fundraising and the goal of the fundraising, they have a minimum that they have to raise, but the number one team gets the top draft pick of NHL alumni that are coming to the event. Um, and we got some pretty cool ones. Uh, uh, like Adam Graves is, is our, like when I told him how we were doing this and everything, he's like, I'm in. Like I got, I got 10 minutes with him and within like three minutes, he's like, I'm in whatever you want. We're good. You know, like, this is great. I love what you're doing. Um, just count me part of it. So, um, so he's one of the draft, draftable guys. This year, our event is still kind of in limbo because of COVID, obviously. And it was supposed to be in March, but still kind of hanging on to a little bit to see if maybe something can play out in September, October. Um, but we had, uh, we had Adam Graves, uh, Mike Krushelniski, who is an awesome, awesome dude. Um, uh, Marty McSorley, Marty Turco. We have got local Michael Layton, Ally Frady. We have got Paul Coffey this year. Wow. Awesome, dude. Um, yeah, have you heard of any of these names, Case? Marty Turco is from these the all, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Heyday. Absolutely. Turco, Turco and his uh, brewery, yeah. uh, Kingsville, Kingsville, and his cousin, Mark Muzzin, um, they are tremendous supporters of this, and they are one of our biggest sponsors. Um, so they have a team. They have kick-ass jerseys. They took the old uh, Michigan yellow jersey and mm -hmm. they put the Kingsville logo on it. And actually, Marty and Layton were going to do an awesome thing this year and we're going to do a shootout contest. So we were going to randomly choose two players from each team and they had to go in and shoot on an NHL goalie. Just <laughs> like, it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but no, like, that cool would be either. a tremendous amount of pressure, right? Definitely. But uh, yeah, so, you know, it was, um, the, the idea is fantastic and we've got a lot of support for it. I think not only for the event itself, but the cause, which, you know, we're forcing, we're, we're forcing, we're, we're creating a, a conduit, if you will, to support local cancer research um, by supporting researchers at the college or the university along with the, the hospital. And everything 100% stays local. We have no paid employees. No money goes to anything other than our expenses for the event. So last year, uh, we, we ended up um, netting $284,000 in our first year, our first event. Like that was how much we made from it, which is absolutely incredible. That is, that is crazy. That's, uh, it's life-changing money for like when for those institutions yes so, like, so congratulations that's phenomenal so we actually gave our first grant um right after the event last year well not right after in, in june and uh so we we let the research council at the university uh, um choose the applicants so people apply for this particular grant which was called a cancer research care grant um because we don't want to be biased by anything and we want the highest level of applicants and has to be at the standards of uh, research that would be acceptable by the university, which is as high as it can get in terms of research. Um, and it turns out that Dr. Ham, my oncologist, won the first grant, which was like, <laughs> I was, circle, I was in tears the whole time. Like we did this nice ceremony at the cancer center and I got to hand her a grant that's gonna help save She's, she's adamant that the grant that she's working on is going to save thousands of lives. It's, it seems absurd, but she is helping develop um, an app and a protocol that 
um, helps patients align themselves with the appropriate um, clinical trial. There, believe it or not, like, if you're in treatment and it's not working and you, and you need to find a clinical trial that maybe would be something that you could try, right, to maybe cure you, there's not a database out there that says where they are. Like, you, you got to go figure it out. Like, you've got to go to John Hopkins. You've got to go to Clone Kettering. Uh, um, you've got to go to Carmanos. Like, you've got you've to navigate that on your own with the help of your, maybe your oncologist or your, your, your family. Yeah. Isn't that absurd? It is absurd. So the project that she's working on is going to help bring patients together. And so it's just, it's, it's, it was a pretty exciting day, that's to say incredible. the least. Man, that's amazing. Let's take a second, uh, fill up your drinks, just gonna read in an ad. If you gotta go to the bathroom, hit the bathroom. So we are today sponsored by our friends, again, at Axel Video, axel.com, Axel Films. They are a full spectrum video marketing uh, company. They provide creative video services to small and large companies, just like me, and as large as the Toronto Raptors. If you're motivated to launch a new product or a service, uh, video content is super important. These guys will help you do it. They've also started to branch in. They've become a full service. They are going to do everything from in-house uh, strategy, concepts, and writing, producing, capturing, editing your final branded video. If you are looking for help, please reach out to them, axelfilms.com, and tell them that Tony sent you. All right, so today, I wrote an article today uh, that's going to be going out to my members in the next couple of days, and it was about... Uh, when I broke my ankle, I broke my ankle and this is like obviously 10,000 times less than getting cancer, but it was all, it, the, the metaphor was breaking my ankle was kind of like people in this COVID and I think, you know, going all the way up to the seriousness of what you went through is like in times of peril, you realize what you don't need, right? And you realize what you really do need. And you said you made some drastic life changes coming out of this and one was moving into Snapped, correct? Yeah. So let's talk about that. What did you realize that like, I guess some things just didn't seem as important anymore after you, you know, basically a new life, right? Well, I think um, honestly what, what opened my eyes um, was my experience in the cancer center and that, I, that our community is way better than what's portrayed in the media. Maybe that's what it kind of comes down to. And I was sick and tired of everyone shitting on Windsor and including Windsorites shitting on Windsor. We have an incredible community seeing things. And now that I really know it, I, I was right. Like every, the nurses doing fundraising for their parent, uh, their patients, the guys like Jim Scott and how many people came in to support that event to help the kids. I get to experience that. Well, not right now because of COVID, but I, I kind of get to experience that type of thing every day whether it be a group of people come together for somebody's 100th birthday at a Chartwell to a massive event like the one that you hosted at WFCU. Like those things are inspirational. And I really enjoyed my job. And I was in a job that as an ergonomist, um, working with patients and doctors and nurses, helping you know determine causality and getting them back to work and all these different things and, and really kind of maybe helping them get to the next stage of their work life, right? Um, but after experiencing what I did at the cancer center, like let's bring more positive energy to our community. So I was introduced to Snapped at one of my events, an Attitudes for Education golf tournament, and the photographer came out, took pictures, and then you see it, and it's like you look through the publication, and it's all just positive news. 
Like it's all just good things, all the great things that maybe the other media sources didn't focus on or maybe didn't spend enough time on or not surrounded by negative news. It's all just the good stuff, like the stuff that maybe I want to portray about our community a little bit more. And I want to surround myself with more positive energy, not just the negative stuff or not negative stuff at all. So that's really what opened my eyes, right? Let's let's start talking about all the good stuff. It's highlighted. Is that what is the mission of Snap then? That. Let's talk about the good stuff. You know, it's all it's all positive news. Happy smiling faces. Look at the camera. Take pictures. Publish them. Uh, social media. The publication. You know, and and show up. Like there have been a ton of events that I've showed up at where like no other media source is there. Yes. And it's 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 a it's a high tea at noon and there's like a bunch of little kids and you know older people sharing tea and dressing up ah, cool it's you know that's a highlight moment you know it's a fun day it's you know and uh, we get um approximately between 300 and 400 event submissions a month i don't even go find the events they they come to me they submit them online to us so if you have an event that's going on you can go to snaptwindsor.com and submit the event and invite us out to come we'll even these days we're, we're starting to cover events again uh we just uh, uh, you know uh, adhere to the rules and we've got big lenses you know we can stand far away and we don't <laughs> encourage people to kind of take pictures like we used to but um, really, it's just about sharing all the good news and creating uh, like a lot of energy around that. I mean, that, that's all it is. You know, and I've come to know or meet a ton of people in the community. And what the great part is, is they're all like minded, right? Like every there's and there's way more than it's, it's kind of infuriating when you go like even on your own Facebook page and you'll see someone makes a post and there's always a couple negative comments and not enough positive comments. There's a ton of people that just oh yeah that's no that's no good or like that's a negative comment i'm i'm not going to comment on it you don't have to comment on that person's negative side like do your own thing to su like support that person and what they're doing if you believe in it right but that doesn't happen enough in my opinion yeah you, you know what it's i'm saying such a, it's such a shift that i think needs to happen especially with social media is like you can you can go on your phone and any different social platform and you just get overwhelmed with how much negativity there is yep. and it's just nonstop. It's like one post after another, but for whatever reason, people are in a negative mindset. So that's what they want to read. And it's like, if everybody shifts to something like what you're doing with snapped and starts reading the positive things and liking those positive posts and positive photos and events, it's crazy how you, the perception on your day changes. Because yeah. now I'm no longer in this dark space all the time because yeah. that's all I'm surrounded with. Yeah. Now it's positive. And now, you know, those little things that bother you don't because there's such a greater picture and, yeah. and better environment. I Like for the Ride Don't Hide events coming at CMHA. So uh, I partnered with them and um, I do a lot of posts on my social media outlet. And then I, I actually I boosted one, one of their ads through my audience. And I wanted to help it out a little bit more. And... I don't know how, but it, it got this on somebody's feed in Wisconsin. So he has this own graphic that he's created and he posted it on my Facebook page, says, fuck off, keep this shit off my Facebook page, you piece of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, is that really big? Like, what is going on? Like, why is that such a big deal to you? Man, people- Stop I, being happy. I, I can't- uh, <laughs> I was shocked. I, I wrote back, I said, um, you know what? Um, thanks for that. I will reach out to Facebook. I suggest you do the same, that you don't want to see ads from here. Um, and, um, you know, have a great day, right? <laughs> like, that's all I did. Like, 
dude, like, why is it such a big deal? Why do you got to be like that? Like, chill out. I mean, I think today it's, it's odd that we're having this conversation. I had a, I have a coaching client that I talked to today who had, who had a negative experience with one of our media sources. And my advice was, you know, don't do battle of words with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. And that was something given to me years ago sure. when I was run through the papers for some things I did with the police service, things I did for the right. However, they didn't see it that way. And I think it's, and I have completely stopped with news. I don't, I like, I don't know anything that's happening ever basically, but I think it's so important that people like you are doing and, and bringing out the good. And like, I, I can tell you now we've run 10 events probably that have, you know, raised a considerable amount of money and have a considerable amount of people in the community show up. And I can guarantee the one media outlet that's there every single time is mm -hmm. snapped. Mm -hmm. They're all invited. And you're the yeah. one who shows up. And man, Good I can too. tell you that we, from a small business perspective, as a guy who's trying to, yeah. to make a difference, we appreciate that. So thank you so much for, for you and your team that yeah. are always seeming to show up and so willing to provide us like small businesses. When we get content like that, like your amazing pictures, it helps, right? I yeah. mean, it helps me. And you guys are just like, yeah, here, use them. Here's like, what was this? Cruising was like 500 pictures. <laughs> like, I got it. Like, it was crazy and like an outstanding pictures. So no, thank you so much. And like Casey said, I think, you know, when you're, when I was a cop and say there'd be like the most indis or really like uh, there'd be a robbery happen or something would happen and they, they would give a car that doesn't really drive around that much, like a lime green, you know, Pinto, let's just yeah. say. Well, I'll be damned if you didn't see 25 lime green Pintos that day. Why? Because I was looking for them. Right. So if you start your day by just looking at these positive things, like Casey said, you are going to see positive things the rest of your day. It's that's true. why people believe in this gratitude. And that's why all these things really work because what you believe and what you consume is what you become. I think that's huge. And I, we thank you so much for all that stuff that you're doing. Cool. So let's, uh, you know, if somebody does want to help you right now, like let's, let's get into that. If we, you know, how do we reach you? What do we do if we want to get involved to play for a cure or you know what, this ride, because I am a CMHA uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ambassador, like you were contributing uh, some yeah. workouts to that event. Uh, what can we do to help on either event? Um, well, Play for a Cure, you could just reach out to me directly. We have a website, playforacure.ca, and uh, you'll see all the teams at the bottom. And if you click on any of the teams, you'll see all the players on that team. And they're all local uh, local players that are playing in those teams, fundraising. And then there's um, some information at the top where you can actually donate. Or if you want to learn more information about the pros that are probably maybe possibly playing at this point, like it's a little bit up in the air, right? Um, but if there's something that you want to do to participate or volunteer your time or support in some way then just yeah go to the website and uh, you can reach me that way uh, for snap to snap windsor.com we're actually doing a really cool thing right now um, we're partnered with uh, the city of windsor uh, tim hortons um, cmha windsor reasonable uh, hospital foundation and um, we're doing virtual augmented reality fireworks for july 1st <laughs> So one of the things that people are gonna miss out this year is the actual live fireworks. So we have a new app out called Snapped Hub. Um, so you can download that from the Apple Store or uh, the Google Google Store. And you can download it and on July 1st at 9.30, uh, we have Chris Hadfield, the you know Canadian astronaut. Yeah. Uh, he's gonna be doing a countdown. And at 9.30, there's gonna be virtual fireworks. So you can use this um, on your phone or your tablet. 
and it's simple as holding it up into the sky and there'll be uh, Canadian music, probably some local music and cool fireworks and you can move it around and you'll be able to reuse it. Um, it's a really cool thing. Oh yeah, we did it for Victoria Day. It was really neat. Um, it's, it's very cool. Like it's, it's, it's something to do, right? And for the fireworks, like not everyone can, you know, blow them up in their backyard, which probably nobody should do. Uh, so it's just, it's something Canadiana to <laughs> Don't do, do right? Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that is incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So uh, first of all, thank you for coming along and for everything you do to our community. Uh, we promise in this, uh, the Tango One podcast that we're trying to hook you guys up with people from our network who are going to make you better. And you're truly somebody that I aspire to be as a, as I move through this uh, circle of uh, people trying to raise money and do things for this community. I know Casey believes the same thing. Yeah, well, hey, yeah, you're a little humble dude too. You guys, you are doing tremendous things in this community. And I tell you, like um, when we had that, we, we received the AFP award and I got on stage and I, I was, I was so focused on you. Like you're such an inspirational human. I really love how you automatically connect. Like even right now, like you, you have eye contact and I think you're very um, honest. You have a lot of integrity, uh, very honorable. Like I, I love your, your energy and I think carry on with what you're doing. Like you're a hugely inspirational to see you when you were yelling at all those people on the, on the rowers, like it was awesome. Like I, like I've, I've, I've been able to be around quite a few people in our community and seeing what they accomplished and to see you and even Greg, what you were able to accomplish that day, but how you did it was, it was incredible. So don't, don't stop. Hopefully you're Casey. I don't, I don't know you very well yet, but this is a good dude. Absolutely. Right. So thank you. Cheers to that. That's a great way Cheers. to end it. Thank that you for great. those compliments and thank you for showing up. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you for surviving that. <laughs> Cheers. It is getting warm. Fans back on. Thank you guys. <laughs> Have a great night. Warm. Enjoy. Make Woo. some plans. Take some action.